0: What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio.
1: We can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. Nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits conquer fear or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics but we don't make product for them we look to the future embrace our past. We study. We analyse. We race on Sunday, so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. alpine stars one goal one vision
0: The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio podcast show brought to you by Justified Culture's Traction MXC covers and Moto Ice Wrap. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than the great Alden Baker. Alden, how's it going?
2: Hey, good, and you, Fred? Thanks, man.
0: Hey, I'm doing great myself. Uh, It's a beautiful day here in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Whereabouts are you located right now?
2: I'm actually in uh, basically, well, Timon, Florida at the moment.
0: Oh, right on. About to head off to uh, to Pennsylvania. I imagine, once again, I really have Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and being a part of this because uh, shedding light on the, on the sport and the pulling away the layers and showing the deeper parts of it are what the Big MX Radio podcast is all about. And uh, who better than a guy who's uh, kind of uh, been with the best, seen the best, and uh, worked with them all.
2: Oh well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, so uh, obviously physical fitness is the uh, is the, uh, the 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 focus of this particular podcast. before we get to that, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about this awesome series. And the series is that we've seen so far in the outdoors. You've got some athletes com- uh, competing and doing quite well. I might add uh, a couple of moto winners in uh, in Marvin Musken, Jason Anderson, and of course uh, Zach Osborne. Tell me a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, no, I think the guys have uh, you know started out this, Obviously, the MX series, uh, you know, pretty good. It's always a tough uh, one, but, you know, I think for everyone, it's it's the same where you've got to make that transition from Supercross to to the motocross series, and you don't really have a lot of time to, you know, put in the work, uh, you know, especially with settings The, the bike uh, settings are obviously a lot different, you know, from Supercross to, to motocross. But uh, I think the guys have been, you know, really good, and... Uh, you know, we've definitely had our little hiccups with some sicknesses and stuff right out of the gate, but that's all part of it. And like I said before, I think everyone is in the same boat and has to deal with the same scenarios. And uh, you, you know, always just trying to put your best foot forward and uh, cover your bases and uh, weekend by weekend. Yeah. So, so far, everything has been going uh, pretty good
0: absolutely now the the transition from supercross to motocross not only technique wise but physical fitness uh is is very different, as far as I like I, I comprehend it. I've I've ridden indoors with arena cross races, short bursts and stuff like that, and I've ridden mm-hmm. some long motos uh, uh, outdoors as well. Um, it's it's a totally different skill set as far as how your body reacts to it, what you ask from your body, uh, and you guys make that tradition uh, transition in about ten days time uh, with uh, with rather limited amounts of uh, of long motos and stuff like that. How early uh, at the end or kind of at the end of a supercross season are you guys kind of? Switching things up as far as the uh, um, what, what you're handing to your, your athletes, or is there uh, is the the boot camp that they do in uh, November, early December, kind of some of the, uh, kind of that base that they rely on.
2: Well, yeah, I mean it. it and it's tough. Uh, I mean the, the the transition part yeah, you don't get a lot of time, and ideally, you're always monitoring how it's going in the supercross season anyway. And if you can start transitioning. Uh, at least one day a week towards the outdoor training it's it's good, but kind of like this this year the series came down to the wire, and uh you know we really couldn't you know so um, it is difficult in a perfect world you you do at least we you know months before start making transitions over um to to get at least uh some base settings and all to just get a feel of uh you know the different uh mobility and speed and stuff that you deal with going into motocross. But at uh, uh, least, I mean, the training, you know, we we do enough for sure, I mean, in, in, in the boot camp period and, and even throughout the season that really it's not too much of a fitness thing. It's just more adjusting to to different setup and just a different type of speed. You know, with the supercross, you've got to be so precise. And with the outdoor, you get a little bit more. You don't have to be so precise, but you're going a lot faster. And what I find actually the heart rates in, in the motocross are not as high as in Supercross. I, I look at Supercross as more of a, a sprint race where the motocross is not as high of a sprint, but obviously you're going longer. Um and then the biggest challenge in, in the outdoors is really you're dealing with a lot more of of, of heat and, and uh you know, sweating, that kind of exertion uh in you know, racing during the day instead of what you're normally racing, you know, in the evening. So uh you know, you do your best to cover your bases. We we try and get into working on those scenarios as early as we can. But it doesn't always work that way, um, depending on, you know, where you are in the supercross season. So, uh yeah, it's always a little challenging but uh you know, the guys are like I said, they, you know, we put in enough work where they're on the fitness side that it, it it shouldn't be a too much of a problem, it's more just that that adapting, you know.
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I always try to uh, we always try to analyze and break it down to a fine science. The reality is, is it's motocross and things happen, and uh, it, it's it's tough to peg down sometimes. Now, you've got uh, three athletes in your uh, in in your paddock uh, consistently, three completely different uh, body compositions, different human mm-hmm. beings. But uh, um, what are the uh, the compulsory compulsory mandatory uh, attributes of their physical fitness that needs to be there? for them to compete at their highest level or the highest level being uh, pro motocross and pro supercross
2: well i mean the biggest thing and you're you're 100 right each athlete is completely different so relative to them the heart rate training is is each each athlete has different zones that they have to train in. but you know my the, the main focus uh is obviously on the riding you know and that's you know what you spend the most time doing so you know, keeping them together riding and keeping that program together always helps because, you know, it it helps them to keep up that intensity um, you know, without you know, you having to say too much because they're competitive anyway. So the program on the riding is very similar. You obviously need to cover the bases with being able to go the distance, um, and then you need to be working on speed work and then we obviously work on sections and uh starts um, all the components that you kind of need to cover your bases with, you know, during the week leading up up to the race. Um, but there again, you know, the heart rate training is is a little bit different and obviously more individual. So going to the cardio training and even the strength training, it's a little bit different with each guy. Um, you know, each guy. Uh, even if you look at the strength training, you know, there's certain areas that I will watch where even though they're training together in the gym. Uh, you know, one guy may, you know, have to do more repetitions or, uh, focus on certain areas more than what the other guy has to depending on his, uh, strengths and weaknesses. So really it's just balancing it out according to each guy's strengths and weaknesses and, uh, going from there and then, you know, trying to keep that sort of team deal going where they motivate and push each other because that kind of creates that longevity. Um and you, and I feel like we get the best out of the work up so that it's not so, um, you know, it's more quality than quantity, you know, that's the goal. So, uh, yeah, that, that's probably the basis of it.
0: Now, at, at different times uh, throughout the last, I'd say uh, four or five years, you've had you've had a 250 rider uh, within that group. Sometimes only 450s. Do you find that uh, having a 250 rider in there ups the uh, the intensity just by the way that that bike has to be ridden to achieve the same uh, style of lap times and uh, and and just like does that help the 450 guys maybe up their own intensity just just seeing the way that the 250 has to be kind of uh, wring its neck a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think it more helps the 250 rider being around the 450 guys, to be honest. Sure. Uh, in certain tracks, uh will complement maybe a 250 fish in certain supercross tracks. But uh overall, I think I find the benefits for the 250 guys, you know, he's drawn into having to keep that speed and, and that intensity that the guys on the 450s have to do. So uh, I don't I don't really feel that the 450 guys kind of benefit too much from a 250 guy. Um, the only thing is, you know, on my end, I try and balance it out. You know, if you have too many 450 guys, it does get tough because they're all competitive and uh, sometimes they can be a little bit more of a handful where, you know, if you have a 250 guy in there, it sort of mellows it down in that scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I think it's more a game for the 250 guy. But the goal is, and I was looking at that, the 250 guy is looking towards, well, he wants to be on that 450. That's what's coming. So he better get used to and kind of start connecting with what they are doing and and, and the demands that they have, you know.
0: For sure. And like uh, you said, each guy is different. So they have a a bit of a different approach. Um, Like, there's one thing that uh, kind of came to mind when I first thought of uh, Jason Anderson working with you is that uh, um, at that time, uh, just about every third post that he'd put on social media had something to do with uh, eating at uh, Chipotle Mexican Grill. Um, what kind of uh, hurdle was that for you to uh, to kind of get over? Because as you know, you can't out-train a bad diet. And uh, that was one of the things that a lot of fans talked about when he first went to that mm. program is that will he be able to uh, train change the way he eats, or will Alden be able to kind of work with him a little bit?
2: Yeah, no, and I know, and I haven't really had a problem with him in that area. I mean, yes, obviously, you know, chipotle. it depends what you order there, you know. I mean, he knows that, <laughs> you, know, we, we're, 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 you know, we're, you know, when, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, and once I explain to them the reasons why I'm against, you know, the dairy, cheeses, uh, and the, the food that don't really have, you know, really good nutritional value, and they get an understanding why, then it's kind of easier for them to get on board. So it's more a case of just educating, you know, why. And it's, you know, sometimes I think the athletes feel like, oh, well, i train enough that I can eat anything well. In a way, yes. And and for him, like, I'm not too concerned about weight management. He hasn't got a weight problem. But remember, you're always trying to, when you train hard, you want to give your body the best nutrients so it can recover as quick as possible and do it over and over. So once they get that understanding and that, mentality then it's a little bit easier where they start to make better choices, you know. Um but I also still you know, he's not married or anything like that, so it's a bit tougher for him to you know, he doesn't come home to someone that's took, cooked a meal for him. So, you know, I've got to educate him on better choices that he can make when he ha- does actually go out and, you know, um, you know, pick foods that are kinda out there, you know. So uh um I think he's adapted good and uh you know, he gets the idea and he also knows when he needs to tighten it up a bit and, and he also knows there's periods where, you know, yeah, I don't have to be as strict but it it is relative to where you're at and what part of the season and uh what's going on, you know. So uh um I feel like I don't really have any issues with the guys in that area.
0: Well, fair enough, and I, I I totally can sympathize. These guys are on a, a crazy schedule. I couldn't imagine trying to uh, uh, meal prep and, uh, and and plan meals throughout a week. Do do a lot of these riders uh, rely on a mood a meal prep service or uh, someone who who cooks for them? Or how do you guys tackle that? Because I can't imagine that uh, Jason Anderson gets off a flight on a Sunday afternoon, gets some root vegetables going, <laughs> chops them all yeah. up, maybe some maybe some uh, chicken breast. Or, or or some son, a, a, a leaner protein or something like that, and he, he like you know you know what I mean. I just uh, I struggle to see that that being high on his priority list when he needs to rest.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. So each guy is you know unique in that area, but there is um, meal prep services that that we have aligned, and guys can choose out of that. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, some of the days that are a little bit easier, we that we don't have like strength training after after the training of the day. You know, and you finish it a little earlier, then, you know, he does find, uh, going home and, you know, heck, just with a barbecue, you can, you know, you can do vegetables and good chicken and, uh, good fish. So it's, it's not crazy, it's more just, uh, the planning part of it. So, you know, he's been on the program long enough where he, you know, he, you know, he can cover the bases where between all the choices, uh, between planned, uh, deliveries on, on food and obviously going out and getting a, a piece meal and also cooking at home. I I feel like he's got a good balance. I mean, obviously on the weekend, you, you're at the mercy of where you're going, you know, but even nowadays, uh, it is cool to see the teams, uh, you know, have, have really good guys that, that can cook and, uh, um prepare well for the guys on race day especially and uh, and beyond that. So it all seems to work in, you know, um pretty much good all the time.
0: Hey everyone. Let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly, then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening.
3: Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who have Justified Cultures clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So, we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BigMX17 when checking out at JustifiedCultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love.
4: What's wrong, Jeff? I
0: don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a... That's what I used to think. Now, I start every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. And it's a racist man, but more than fights. What big Jeff likes is a fat bull. Amigos are red, fat bull. Amigos are red. Oats for power, brands for skin. Ooh, that taste, what a delicious treatment. Cereal B's That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids,
1: start out every morning with a fat ball. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know if, why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon.
2: Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show.
0: Hey, guys, this is Cade Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off on the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. So do what I did, and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey, big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and hope you're enjoying me. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. Traction MX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 Sixty-nine ninety-five American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to tractionmx.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with viral brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market, from supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses clear lenses, 10-packet tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the Viral brand. When it comes to four strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE-13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Linovich, Sean Collier, Vicki Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Billspipes.com today and never settle. Well, there you go, reading my mind. The next question I had for you was uh, on race day. I imagine that now you have to communicate with, uh, I guess, two teams. You've got Paul Delorier over at the uh, Rockstar Husky team, uh-huh. as well as uh, uh, I, I I don't know too sure who does the, the cooking over at KTM. But uh, is there like a uh, do you guys do you supply a bit of a shopping list to those guys because uh, um, that's that's really important that on race day they've got uh, the um, the, uh, the the great nutrients that's going to power the them through and, and keep them uh fully charged and uh, uh you don't have to give too many specifics but what what might be on that list if you did give one
2: yeah well i mean the biggest thing is is not you know my fault with the you know you don't change up anything that you've been doing during the week so, so it's not like you go to the weekend to race day and completely get it you know eat something different um you want something that settles, you know well and uh, that covers your bases and you know has a balance between carb uh protein and good fats and uh Yeah, the, the guys like Paul, they know. So they, you know, yes, they obviously do a lot of cooking more for the, for the rest of the team and the, and the mechanics and everyone. And obviously there's a bit of a hospitality part of it that comes into play. But for the riders, they'll always have, you know, like grilled chicken and, uh, you know, they'll have some good brown rice and vegetables. So they get a good balance and it's pretty much kept standard every weekend so that there's no, uh, you know, differences or stuff that's, that's, you know, out of their routine, uh, comrades day.
0: Well, that, that's always interesting to me because, uh, like, I, I I found with my own training, um, and especially on, on the mental side of things, like you, like I said earlier, you cannot out-train a bad diet and you need to believe mm-hmm. in it, um, and uh, I always find, it, it's funny for myself, that if I ever do cheat on a diet, uh, I never quite feel as bad about cheating as I do when I feel good about eating right. Does that make sense? That, like, like yeah. I don't know why, to me, in my own head, like, I seem to give myself more of a pat on the back for eating well, then uh, kind of almost like a little shaming myself for uh, taking a step backwards because um, like, it's not like you're going to gain 10 pounds by having one donut, but uh, it always seems like the, like, why does it feel so important to have one piece of fruit, but not so important? Like, oh, I can have a donut.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And and the biggest thing, it comes back, you know, when you look at training and racing and all that, it all really filters down to discipline and, so it goes hand in hand with what you're saying there. As soon as you crack the door and you eat something that really isn't that nutritional, you know, value-wise good for you, um, it is good that it sort of kind of plays mentally on you, you know, where you feel, man, oh, gosh, why did I do that, you know? So that's something that I, you know, I'm pumped about. I'm, I, I hope the guys have that scenario, which, which they pretty much do. You know, they know the value and and, hey, you know what, if I don't, Cover all my bases the right way, then then really you know uh, you know as it's going to filter through. Yeah, maybe not right now, but it's going to catch up to me. And I think they understand that, especially with how long the seasons are, you know. So uh, and like I said, man, I mean, nothing's better to feel like on the line that you've done everything in your power that you know you could have done uh, to keep up that that right mentality and, and belief in, in your your preparation. And that is a critical part of it. You know, I mean, if you hit a donut and one thing kind of goes amiss and, you know, you're probably going to think, man, was it You know, was it when I screwed up having that? Or, you know, you don't want to have any of that questioning. You, you want to go with everything focused the right way. You know, that's the goal.
0: Absolutely, and I think you, uh, you you threw a tidbit in there about belief, and I think that's really important, especially for uh, riders taking on a new program or someone who's even mm. in the middle of a program that they've been in for a while. The work, the the belief always comes, or the belief, the work comes before the belief. You need to put in the work before you see the results, and then you believe it in more, and then you you have to do more work so you can believe in that. How important is it that these guys are uh, when they're doing the work that they're believing in the process? and and all of the things that go towards it because that's how they can really get the most out of things because uh, if they don't believe in it, uh, it's it's a whole lot easier to uh, either cheat on something or maybe not do things to the best of their own ability.
2: Yeah, and and I totally agree with that. I think once you – you know, you have to be all in. As soon as you start to question or not believe in the program or, you know, have a couple of doubts or – uh yeah, then things start to go amiss and, and it never works out. You know, and I you know, and I've seen a couple you know, in the past where things have changed and uh you have you know, and that's that's standard. I mean we're all human but I do find that the guys that are committed the most and believe in the program and, and believe in all of those areas that make a difference, uh, have had the best results, you know. So there's gotta be something in that and I think that um the group that I've got now, you know, understand that. I think they've seen it enough and, uh, you know, but that is the constant, uh, I would say not a battle, but um, challenge that you keep them understanding, you know, why they're putting in this work. And and we're still doing a sport that there's a lot in it and, you know, results, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's good results and there's bad results. And uh, the biggest thing, even when you don't have the best of results, you still believe in your program and and carry it through um and then start chasing the tail it's, you know then then it really can go you know and become a mess
0: absolutely and motocross is one of the most mental uh, games out there uh it's yep. uh, the poise of a gunfighter the marathon runner's uh uh car, like the cardiovascular threshold and uh and just the strength that to, to wrestle a 200 plus pound motorcycle machine uh, in uh, in close to 100 degree heat it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a big ask. Um, you don't have to be specific as far as uh, which athlete you might have sat down with, but have have you ever had to have that uh, talk? Where uh, I don't know if you have an office, but basically step into my office and talk about uh, commitment level and uh, that belief in that process. Because I can't imagine having to, you, you having to talk somebody into believing in what you've done. Because obviously, uh, there's, you've worked with a lot of champions, and uh, obviously, and arguably, um, like. Very much uh, responsible for three of the only perfect seasons ever created in this this sport, uh, which is uh, a, a huge feat. Um, like, uh, have you had had that? Like, basically, talk, and, and what does that kind of talk? Uh, what does that talk sound like?
2: Well, I mean, and, and for sure, you know, yes, I have had those talks, and I think it's, um, you know, you always depending on the athlete because <clears throat> some athletes uh, require a little bit you know, more of a stern approach and other ones you kinda of gotta guide a little bit more to get a more of an understanding and that's just part of understanding the athlete and I think that's the biggest thing in in, in, in training for me it's more to understand how the athlete thinks and kind of what motivates them and uh uh and, and working with those those uh points in mind, you know. So but for sure you go through stages in, in the in the in the year and through their you know career that there is points where they they yeah i mean they you know they're human they uh have their ups and downs and uh um that is one of the probably one of the toughest jobs as as a trainer is to bring them back in line and and then get you know them in line with with your belief and and your understanding and uh um or else and sometimes just finding a common ground that uh you can, you know, have some positives and, and, and obviously, you know, in a way maybe even agree to disagree in certain areas, but that's just part of it, you know. I mean, I think it's the same with, uh, you know, any of the guys, even with, with with stuff when they make choices with stuff on the bike, you know. Um, there, it, it does come down to a compromise on, you know, what is going to be the, the better way, you know, with with the many options that we have. In front of us, you know what what is the most direct, and what what are the areas that we are trying to cover at that particular point, you know, and that that does vary on the athlete, and also depending on their their experience and their motivation, and and uh, you know what is important to them. So uh, those are those are challenges that it's just part of the job, but uh, for sure, um, you know, I mean, I've had conversations that I was like, you know, not that keen on and then I've had conversations that have actually been you know really beneficial in in certain areas so it is part of it um, for sure.
0: Absolutely, and uh, it's no, no small task. Like you said, three completely different uh, guys, and uh, they're elite athletes within their sport. Uh, is there uh, is there one particular athlete that maybe uh, was was harder to figure out and, and kind of get inside his head than, uh, uh, than than another rider, like someone that was rather introverted or, or something like that? Because uh, as like as a coach in the past, whether it be football or freestyle skiing, if I if I couldn't quite read the athlete or, or kind of see what needed to be pulled out of them, I found very difficult to uh, give them the feedback that they needed to be more successful.
2: Yeah. It'd be hard to say, you know, which athletes would maybe be more kind of harder to get in their What their little space, if you could say, I'd say they're all different in different scenarios. um, And also kind of vary depending where they're at, you know, in their, in the situation with how much experience they have. I mean, Boy, can yeah. you start with an athlete? You know, it is good to have an athlete that, that has come to you kind of in a way has hit the wall before and it hasn't, you know, worked, been struggling because then you almost get an open arms effect, you know, and uh I call it the honeymoon, uh you know, part of it. And then when they start to get back on track and do well in that, then, you know, you get that, that sort of a human part that, you know, what is that fine line of, you know, how much work I have to do in order to get the results. You know, I mean, who wants to work more than they have to? You know, and that, that I find is, is more of a, that's human nature. So going back to each guy's personality, I think that's got to come through at different phases in their career. But overall, they all have pretty much the same, standard desire to, you know, want to win and, and, and do really well and make a count. So as long as you've got that fire burning, um, then the rest is, is just what I call part of the job, you know, where you just balancing it out, you know.
0: For sure. Now, I want to uh, change pace a little bit and talk a little bit about something that, uh, like, I noticed. I don't know if any, if, uh, too many other, other analysts noticed, but I don't think I've ever heard a professional motocross racer, uh, said that they were tired of winning or tired of their, uh, hitting the gym or riding or, uh, any of, any of, like, the, the physical, uh, um, like the, like, uh, sometimes they say that they're tired of getting hurt, but that's a totally different thing. Mm. Um, like, uh, almost every single retired or like guy who retires from motocross, well, the thing that they mentioned most is that they were tired of the travel and having been on yeah. uh, four different airplanes in about in, in under four days uh going to Colorado this last weekend and flying out of there at four o'clock in the morning, speak to the um the demand of putting a a, a top performing top flight athlete in an airplane thirty five hundred or thirty five thousand feet in the air and then expecting, and, like, with all of, like, the, like, commercially flying illnesses, uh, just, like, out, like, that like, flying is not a natural thing. It's not natural for the body to do. And battling all of that because, like, whether it be compression socks, you name it, there's a million different ways to attack it, but the fact is that's a lot of flying.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's our biggest problem in the sport is the amount of races that are on the calendar, and then that coincides with, obviously, the amount of travel that these guys, you know, have to do, and, you know, I remember that back in the day there were a few guys that, that managed to, you know, get decent enough uh, salaries where they could, you know, fr- fly private, which definitely helped. There's just no doubt in that. But it, once again, it comes at a huge expense. Um, and everyone knows that the careers of these stars is not forever, so, you, you know, you've got to get that fine balance. But it's, uh, it is tough. I mean, and we all know today, you know, public, Flying and travel is is really difficult. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, security and then, you know, all the junk that you know is on the plane and getting not really filtered out and they turn these planes around so quickly. I mean, it's still, it is what it is. Yeah, and that's the thing. So that part is definitely, I I feel, the biggest negative in, in the sport, you know, where that pushes the guys the wrong way. Um and I think at a point two they just never get a break and um it's it's uh you know, it's it's just not you know, not healthy and uh they don't have any kind of normal life. I mean, you know, not too long ago one of my athletes said, Man, I can't even have a dog I mean, yes, I could have a dog, but then what am I gonna do every weekend? I find someone to take care of it. Yeah, no uh already taking. Yeah, and that's the thing. So you like, and I said to him, I said, dude, you're right. I said, yes, I mean, I'm sure there's people that do it, but you've got to coordinate, oh, well, is my neighbor going to come over and watch my dog, or I'm going to drop it off my parents, or I'm going to do this. That's just to have a, an animal, you know, so there's a lot of little things that add up that, that just is not, you know, not normal, and, and, and that people take for granted, you know, um, that these guys don't have. So at some point, it, it honesty wears, wears you down, and uh, yeah, that is, is our biggest difficulty I feel at the moment for
1: sure
0: absolutely like are there any like kind of tips and tricks to to when when flying to to help yourself uh feel a bit better as far as just like the fatigue of flying I find myself if I'm on a a number of airplanes over a short period of time I just feel lethargic I feel like drained like I I need to sleep in the middle of the day for no reason like what's that all about
2: well it depends where you're going but you know obviously I would with my guys, I always try and, hey, listen, you know, try and, you know, keep your hands clean, you know, try and touch as little as possible, don't put that on your face, you know, there's so certain little rules to try and not pick up more germs than you, you need to be, and then drinking a lot of water, uh, obviously, you know, when you're, you know, in a plane, dehydration and all that uh, tends to kick, and so if you can be up to speed on that, and then also, trying to, and that again, it goes on depending on the, the, the length of the flight, but if you can actually move around, you know, get up and walk around a bit and kind of keep moving a little bit, that actually does help. Um, the problem is you sit there stagnant for so long and then typically you'll eat something and then, you know, it's just not, it's not normally what you would do in a, in a day, so that's why it's kind of a bit of an alien to the body because it's not something the body does every day. Um, in fact, it's It's very hard, but every weekend that has to kick in. So, uh, um, And then, you know, even the resting, the position and all that is is not ideal. So, but, you know, I mean, if we can, you know, our hardest part is coming, you know, from the West Coast to the East Coast. Just time change, difference, that would upset things a lot. But there again, you've got to look at that, everyone's in the same boat, so, you know, you've got to approach it with a bit of more positive and, and do what you can and you drink water, move when you can and and try and touch as little as possible on that, that plane, you know. And that's probably about it. And I always find, too, that when the guys do land, it is good to try and do at least some sort of activity, you know, 10, 15 minutes uh, just to get a bit of blood flow to try and stop that that feeling that you've just spoken about where you the little, the least you do, the more sort of tired you feel, you know, and that's not good for the body for sure.
0: For sure, like I find uh, my, my my the thing that works for me best is that I, I wear some knee high compression socks that really help blood throw through flow through my lower extremities. That seems to kind of uh, evade just like the the swelling of feet and stuff like that, and just like the uh, just like get that better blood flow, like you'd meant. Uh, that that's just what what I do. But uh, um, yeah, the last thing, yeah, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say on on compression stuff, I found that that's very individual. It's weird. I've had you know we've obviously tried a bunch of it. And yeah. some guys love it, and I think it maybe works better on longer, longer flights. And then other guys have felt like, man, it almost made them loaded, you know, in a way because you know you you're definitely pressing against, you know, with, you know, everyone. I mean, you'll notice how their ankles swell up after flying. Now you don't have that, but you wonder, okay, so where has it all gone? It gone, you know?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, my knees are and, swollen.
2: <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing, and then I said, oh, yeah, kind of like my knees were a little sort of, you know, (laughs) more stiff or whatever, so I think that there is, but it's definitely something that's worth trying, and once again, that's an individual thing, and if, if it works for you, then, man, you stick to it for sure, you know.
0: All right. Cool. Well, uh, that's definitely a helpful tidbit. Uh, last thing before I let you go here is uh, that I, I know there's a ton of athletes that, uh, that there are more athletes that do this at a recreational level or a, uh, <coughs> a, a, a not a, not a professional level than do it as a professional level. That's the reality of this. Uh, um, participant-level sport that we do. Most of the people who love mm. this sport do this sport. Um, if, if, if there's an athlete that's listening to this right now uh, that wants to get themselves a trainer and they want to start training more uh, diligently for their sport, uh, what are what, what are some of the most important things that they're looking for f- that their trainer can be giving them or uh, things that they should be working on uh, as far as heart zone-wise or s- stuff like that that uh, um, maybe, like, obviously, they, they might not be able to work with a guy like yourself, but how can they get them most amount of value.
2: Well, I think uh, they've got to look at it. Uh, firstly, is how much time that they can dedicate to training. I think that's the biggest thing. There's no use going and getting a trainer when you can only dedicate two days of of training. You know. Um, so I always look at, at. Firstly, a person needs to be really honest with themselves how much time can they dedicate to to their riding and their training. Um and then that depends on how much they're gonna need a trainer because yes, if they have a decent amount of time that they could dedicate, well then they'll have time to analyse, okay, I need to be I need to be cardio fit, I need to have strength and I need to be able to ride, you know, and I need to cover my bases on the track. Um, sometimes I always recommend that if it's if it's just, you know, that they don't have a lot of days that they can ride then maybe it's worth more investing in sort of uh a coach at the track that can help them with their riding skills. Uh, you know, because ultimately that's what, what, what you want. And then as it develops, yes, if you've got all the skills but you haven't got the fitness, well, that's going to be your weak point. So, uh, I think looking for a trainer, you've got to find someone that can really, uh, know exactly where your weaknesses, weaknesses are and also know, you know, your, what, what is your, your, your program? We know how many days and you put towards this, what are your goals, uh, and how they can piece that together. But I do find the better trainers are the ones that can make the best out of what what the athlete kind of can can offer them. You know, I mean, that, and there again, it goes back to the whole purpose of a trainer is, is the person that can read you the best and get the best out of you. And know, I think that's the skill that, a, that a, a rider out there needs to be looking for is, you know, you know, can this guy connect with me in, in all those areas to make me the best that I can be? And I think that's the most important. Awesome. Well, I, I totally agree, and I hope
0: that uh, uh, there's some athletes listening who uh, want to up their uh, their physical fitness, and they want to take that next step, and uh, they'll take that advice with uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, Alden, it's been a huge pleasure of mine to have you on the show. An absolute thrill. I'm a huge fan of your work and uh, and what you bring to the sport, and uh, elevating obviously the athletes that uh, are, are champions. Like basically, you're creating uh, a lot of these athletes who they like. They're raising the bar so that the rest of everyone else has to raise the bar even higher and the the end result is uh is great racing and uh and great competition for uh for media people and fans like myself who uh truly truly enjoy this stuff so uh but first and foremost thank you so much and uh i, I, I will have to have you on again sometime because uh we we didn't quite get to everything that i want to chat about
2: no well thank you so much and i appreciate the the support and the kind words and uh and uh hey keep up the good job there Brad. I appreciate it man thank you.
0: Awesome, man. Now, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there.
2: All right. Thank you.